Chapter 17 of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 In a Transport. A little French aspirant de marine with an incipient mustache said to me confidentially, Where you see the French flag, you see France. We were pacing to and fro on the deck of a transport that swung at anchor off San Francisco, and, as I looked shoreward for almost the last time, we were to sail at daybreak for a southern cruise, I hugged my Ollendorf in despair as I dreamed of French in six easy lessons, without a master or a tolerable accent or anything save a suggestion of babble and a confusion of tongues at sea. Thaneron, the aspirant in question, embraced me when I boarded the transport with my baggage, treated me like a long-lost brother all that afternoon, and again embraced me when I went ashore toward evening to take leave of my household. There was something so impulsive and boyish in his manner that I immediately returned his salute, and with considerable fervor, feeling that kind heaven had thrown me into the arms of the exceptional foreigner who would to a certain extent console me for the loss of my whole family the mystery that hangs over the departure of any craft that goes by wind is calculated to appall the landsman and when the date of sailing is fixed the best thing he can do is to go aboard in season and compose his soul in peace to be sure he may swing at anchor for a day or two in full sight of the domestic circle that he has shattered but he is spared the repetition of those last agonies and cuts short the unravelling hours just prior to a separation which are probably the most unsatisfactory in life under cover of darkness a fellow can do almost anything and i concluded to go on board there was a late dinner and a parting toast at home and those ominous silences in the midst of a conversation that was as spasmodic and disconnected and unnatural as possible there was something on our minds and we relapsed in turn and forgot ourselves in the fathomless abysses of speculation someone saw me off that night someone who will never again follow me to the sea and welcome me on my return to earth after my wandering we sauntered down the dark streets along the city front and tried to disguise our motives but it was hard work presently we heard the slow swing of the tide under us and the musty odor of the docks regaled us one or two shadows seemed to be groping about in the neighborhood making more noise than a shadow has any right to make then came the myriad masted shipping the twinkling lights in the harbor and a sense of ceaseless motion in waters that never can be still we did not tarry there long the boat was bumping her bow against a pair of slippery stairs that led down to the water and i entered the tottering thing that half sunk under me dropped into my seat in the stern and tried to call out something or other as we shot away from the place with a cloud over my eyes that was darker than night itself and a cloud over my heart that was as heavy as lead 
After that, there was nothing to do but climb up one watery swell and slide down on the other side of it, to count the shadow ships that shaped themselves out of chaos as we drew near them, and dissolved again when we had passed, while the oars seemed to grunt in the rowlocks, and the two jolly tars in uniform, they might have been mutes for all I know, swung to and fro, to and fro, dragging me over the water to my ocean bride. I think that is what they call a ship when the mood is on them. She did look pretty as we swam up under her. She looked like a great silhouette against the steel-gray sky. But within was the sound of revelry, and I hastened on board to find our little cabin blue with smoke, which, however, was scarcely dense enough to muffle the martial strains of the Marseillaise, as shouted by the whole mess. Thaneron, my Thaneron, was in the centre of the table with his curly head out of the transom, not that he was by any means a giant, but we were all a little cramped between decks, and he was leading the chorus with a sabre in one hand and the head of the doctor in the other. Without the support of the faculty, he would probably not have ended his song of triumph as successfully as he ultimately did, when nature herself had fainted from exhaustion. It was the last night in port, a few friends from shore had come to dine, and black coffee and cognac at a late hour had finished the business. If there is one thing in this world that astonishes me more than another, it is the rapidity with which some people talk in French. Thaneron's French, when he once got started, sounded to me like the well-executed trill of a prima donna, and quite as intelligible. The joke of it was that Frenchmen seemed to find no difficulty in understanding him at his highest speed. On the whole, perhaps, this fact astonishes me more than the other. Dinner was as far over as it could get without beginning again and calling itself breakfast, so the party broke up in a whirlwind of patriotic songs, and one by one we dropped our guests over the side of the vessel until there was none left, and then we waved them a thousand adieus and kept up the last words as long as we could catch the faintest syllable of a reply. There were streaks of dull red in the east by this time, and the outlines of the city were again becoming visible. This I dreaded a little, and when our boat had returned and everything was put in ship shape, I deliberately dropped a tear in the presence of my messmates, who were overcome with emotion at the spectacle, and, having all embraced, we went below, where I threw myself with some caution into my hammock and slept until broad daylight. I did not venture on deck again until after our first breakfast, an informal one, that sat uneasily on the table and seemed inclined to make its escape from one side or the other. Of course, we were well under way by this time. I was assured of the fact by the reckless rolling of the vessel and the strange and unfamiliar feeling in my stomach as though it were some other fellow's stomach and not my own. My legs were a trifle uncertain, my head was queer. Everybody was rushing everywhere and doing things that had to be undone or done over again in the course of the next ten minutes. I concluded to pace the deck, which is probably the correct thing for a man to do when he goes down to the sea in ships and does business, you could hardly call it pleasure, on great waters. 
I went up the steep companionway and found a deck load of ropes, and the entire crew, dressed in blue flannel with broad collars, skipping about in the most fantastic manner. It was like a ballet scene in L'Africaine, and highly diverting, for a few minutes. From my stronghold on the top stair of the companionway, I cast my eye shoreward. The long coast ran down the horizon under a broadside of breakers that threatened to engulf the continent. The air was gray with scattering mist, the sea was much disturbed, and of that ugly yellowish-green tint that signifies soundings. Overhead, a few seabirds whirled in disorder, shrieking as though their hearts would break. It looked ominous, yet I felt it my duty, as an American under the shadow of the tricolore, to keep a stiff upper lip, and I flatter myself that I did so. Figuratively speaking, I balanced myself in the mouth of the companionway, with a bottle of claret in one pocket and a French roll in the other, while I brushed the fog from my eyes with the sleeve of my monkey jacket, and exclaimed with the bard, My native land, good night! It was morning at the time, but I did not seem to care much. In fact, time is not of the slightest consequence on shipboard. So I withdrew to my hammock, and having climbed into it in safety, ended the day after a miserable fashion that I have deplored a thousand times since, during the prouder moments of my life. A week passed by, I suppose it was a week, for I could reckon only seven days and seven nights of about twice the length of the days during that interval. Yet I should, in the innocence of my heart, have called it a month without a moment's hesitation. We arose late in the morning, those of us who had a watch below, ate a delightfully long and narrow breakfast consisting of an interminable procession of dishes in single file paced the deck and canvassed the weather, went below to read, but talked instead, dined as we had breakfast, only in a far more elaborate and protracted manner, while a gentle undercurrent of side-dishes lent interest to the occasion. There was a perpetual stream of conversation playing over the table, from the moment that heralded the soup until the last drop of black coffee was sopped up with a bit of dry bread. By the time we had come to cheese, everybody felt called upon to say his say, in the face of everybody else. I alone kept my place, and held it because the heaviest English I knew fell feebly to the floor before the thunders of those five prime Frenchmen, who were flushed with enthusiasm and good wine. I dreamed of home over my cigarette, and tried to look as though I were still interested in life, when, heaven knows, my face was more like a half-obliterated cameo of despair than anything human. Thaneron, my foreign affinity, now and then, threw me a semi-English nut to crack, but by the time I had recovered myself, it is rather embarrassing to be assaulted, even in the most friendly manner, with a batch of broken English by the time i had framed an intelligible response thaneron was in the heat of a fresh argument and keeping up a running fire of small shot that nearly floored the mess but there is an end even to a french dinner and we ultimately adjourned to the deck where about sunset everybody took his station while the angelus was said 
then twilight with a subdued kind of skylarking in the forecastle and genteel merriment amidships while monsieur le capitaine paced the high quarter-deck with the shadow of a smile crouching between the fierce jungles of his intensely black side-whiskers oh sir it was something to be at sea in a french transport with the tricolore flaunting at the peak to have four guns with their mouths gagged and oilcloth capes lashed snugly over them to see everybody in uniform each having the profoundest respect for those who ranked a notch above them and having also an ill-disguised contempt for the unlucky fellow beneath him this spirit was observable from one end of the ship to the other and sirs we had a little world of our own revolving on a wobbling access between the staunch ribs of the old transport Javert. we were bound for tahiti god willing and the winds favourable and the common hope of ultimately finding port in that paradise is all that held us together through thick and thin we might wrangle at dinner and come to breakfast next morning with bitterness in our hearts we might sink into the bottomless pit of despond we might revile monsieur le capitaine and monsieur le cuisinier including in our anathemas the elements and some other things they uh, the frenchmen might laugh to scorn the great american people and they did it two or three times and i in my turn might feel a secret contempt for paris without having the power to express the same intolerable french so i felt it and held my tongue even thaneron gave me a french shrug now and then that sent the cold shivers through me but there was sure to come a sunset like a sea of fire at which golden hour we were marshalled amidships and stood with uncovered heads and the soft light playing over us while the littlest french boy in the crew said the evening prayer with exceeding sweetness being the youngest he was the most worthy of saying it and then we all crossed ourselves and our hearts melted within us there was something in the delicious atmosphere growing warmer every day and something in the delicious sea that was beginning to rock her floating gardens of blooming weed under our boughs and something in the aspect of monsieur le capitaine with his cap off and a shadow of prayer softening his hard proud face that unmanned us so we rushed to our own little cabin and hugged one another lest we should forget how when we were restored to our sisters and our sweethearts and everything was forgiven and forgotten in one intense moment of french remorse who took me in his arms and carried me the length of the cabin in three paces at the eminent peril of my life Thaneron who admired Thaneron's gush of nature, and nearly squeezed the life out of him in the vain hope of making their joy known to him. Everybody else in the mess. Who looked on in bewilderment, and was half glad and half sorry, though more glad than sorry by half, and wondered all the while what was coming next? Bless you, it was I. And we kept doing that sort of thing, until I got very used to it, and by the time we sighted the green summits of Tahiti, my range of experience was so great that nothing could touch me further. It may be that we were not governed by the laws of ordinary seafarers. 
the chiver was shaped a little like a bathtub with a bow like a duck's breast and a high old-fashioned quarter-deck resembling a chinese junk with a reef in her stern forty bold sailor boys who looked as though they had been built on precisely the same model and dealt out to the government by the dozen managed to keep the decks very clean and tidy and the brasswork in a state of dazzling brightness the ship was wonderfully well ordered i could tell you by the sounds on deck while i swung in the comfortable seclusion of my hammock just the hour of the day or night but that was after i had once learned the order of events there was the sunday morning inspection the wednesday sham naval battle the prayers night and morning and the order to shorten sail each evening between times the decks were scrubbed and the whole ship renovated sometimes the rigging was darkened with drying clothes and sometimes we felt like ancient mariners the sea was so oily and the air so hot and still there was nothing stirring save the sea-birds who paddled about like tame ducks and the faint thin thread of smoke that ascended noiselessly from the dainty rolls of tobacco in the fingers of the entire ship's crew in fact when we moved at all in these calm waters we seemed to be propelled by forty cigarette power for there was not a breath of air stirring it was at such times that we fought our bloodless battles the hours were ominous breakfast did not seem half a breakfast because we hurried through it with the dreadful knowledge that a conflict was pending and possibly though not probably we might never gather at that board again for a naval engagement is something terrible and life is uncertain in the fairest weather breakfast is scarcely over when the alarm is given and with the utmost speed every frenchman flies to his post already the horizon is darkened with the prussian navy yet our confidence in the staunch old chevet in each particular soul on board and in our undaunted leader monsieur le capitaine who is even now scouring the sea with an enormous marine glass that of itself is enough to strike terror to the prussian heart our implicit confidence in ourselves is such that we smilingly await the approach of the doomed fleet at last they come within range of our guns and the conflict begins i am unfortunately compelled to stay beneath the hatches a sham battle is no sight for an inexperienced landsman to witness and moreover i would doubtless get in the way of the frantic crew who seem resolved to shed the last drop of french blood in behalf of la belle france marine engagements are as a general thing a great bore the noise is something terrific ammunition is continually passed up through the transom over our dinner-table and a thousand feet are rushing over the deck with a noise as of theatrical thunder the engagement lasts for an hour or two once or twice we are enveloped in sheets of flame we are speedily deluged with water and the conflict is renewed with the greatest enthusiasm again and again and again we pour a broadside into the enemy's fleet and always with terrific effect we invariably do ourselves the greatest credit for by the time our supplies are about exhausted not a vestige of the once glorious navy of prussia remains to tell the tale 
The sea is, of course, blood-stained for miles around. The few persistent Prussians who attempt to board us are speedily dispatched and allowed to drop back into the remorseless waves. A shout of triumph rings up from our triumphant crew, and the play is over. Once more the hatches are removed. Once more I breathe the sweet air of heaven, for not a grain of powder has been burned through all this fearful conflict. Once more my messmates rush into our little cabin and regale themselves with copious draughts of absinthe, and I am pressed to the proud bosom of Thaneron, who is restored to me without a scar to disfigure his handsome little body. I grew used to these weekly wars, and before we came in sight of our green haven, there was not a Prussian left in the Pacific. It is impossible that any nation, though they be schooled to hardships, could hope to survive such a succession of disastrous conflicts. On the whole, I like sham battles. They are deuced exciting, and they don't hurt. How different, how very different, those sleepy days when we were drifting on toward the Marquesas Islands. The silvery phaetons doubted overhead like day stars shooting from their spheres. The seaweed grew denser, and a thousand floating things, broken branches with a few small leaves attached, the husk of a coconut, or straws such as any dove from any ark would be glad to seize upon, these gave us ample food for speculation. Piloted by the slow, unwilling winds, we came close to the starlit Nukahiva, and shortened sail right under its fragrant shadow. It was a glorious night. There was the subtle odor of earth in the warm, faint air, and before us that impenetrable shadow that we knew to be an island, yet whose outlines were traceable only by the obliterated stars. At sunrise we were on deck and looked westward, saw the mists melt away like a veil swept from before the face of a dusky Venus just rising from the waves. The island seemed to give out a kind of magnetic heat that made our blood tingle. We gravitated toward it with an almost irresistible impulse. Something had to be done before we yielded to the fascination of this savage enchantress. Our course lay to the windward of the southeastern point of the land, but finding that we could not weather it, we went off before the light wind and drifted down the northern coast, swinging an hour or more under the lee of some parched rocks, eyeing the needles, the slender and symmetrical peaks so-called, and then we managed to work our way out into the open sea again and were saved. Valleys lay here and there, running back from the shore with green and inviting vistas. Slim waterfalls made one desperate leap from the clouds and buried themselves in the forests hundreds of feet below, where they were lost forever. Rain clouds hung over the mountains, throwing deep shadows across the slopes that, but for this relief, would have been too bright for the sentimental beauty that usually identifies a tropical island.
I happened to know something about the place, and marked every inch of the scorching soil as we floated past groves of rosewood, sandalwood, and a hundred sorts of new and strange trees, looking dark and velvety in the distance, past strips of beach that shone like brass, while beyond them the cocoa palms that towered above the low brown huts of the natives seemed to reel and nod in the intense meridian heat. A moist cloud, far up the mountain, hung above a serene and sacred haunt, and under its shelter was hidden a deep valley, whose secret has been carried to the ends of the earth. For Herman Melville has plucked out the heart of its mystery, and beautiful and barbarous Tipi lies naked and forsaken. I was rather glad we could not get any nearer to it, for fear of dispelling the ideal that has so long charmed me. Catching the wind again, late in the afternoon, we lost the last outline of Nukahiva in the soft twilight, and said our prayers that evening as much at sea as ever. Back we dropped into the solemn round of uneventful days. Even the sham battles no longer thrilled us. In fact, the whole affair was a little too theatrical to bear frequent repetition. There was but one of our mess who could muster an episode whenever we became too stagnant for our health's good, and this was our first officer, a tall, slim fellow with a warlike beard and very soft, dark eyes, whose pupils seemed to be floating aimlessly about under the shelter of long lashes. His face was in a perpetual dispute with itself, and I never knew which was the right or the wrong side of him. B was the happy possessor of a tight little African known as Nero, although I always looked upon him as so much Jamaica ginger. Nero was as handsome a specimen of tangible darkness as you will sight in a summer's cruise. B loved with the ardor of his vacillating eyes, yet governed with the rigor of his beard. Nero was consequently prepared for any change in the weather, no matter how sudden or uncalled for. In the equatorial seas, while we sailed to the measure of the ancient mariner, B summoned Nero to the sacrifice, and having tortured him to the extent of his wits, there was a reconciliation more ludicrous than any other scene in the farce. It was at such moments that B's eyes literally swam, when even his beard wilted, while he told of the thousand pathetic eras in Nero's life, when he might have had his liberty, but found the service of his master more beguiling, of the adventures by flood and field, where B was distinguishing himself, yet at his side, through thick and thin, struggled the faithful Nero. Thus B warmed himself at the fire his own enthusiasm had kindled on the altar of self-love, and every moment added to his fervor. It was the yellow fever and the cholera and the smallpox that were powerless to separate that faithful slave from the agonizing bedside of his master. It was shipwreck and famine and the smallest visible salary that seemed only to strengthen the ties that bound them the one to the other death cruel death alone could separate them and b took nero by the throat and kissed him passionately upon his sooty cheek and the floating eyes came to a standstill with an expression of virtuous defiance that was calculated to put all conventionalities to the blush 
we were awed by the magnanimity of such conduct until we got thoroughly used to it and then we were simply entertained we kept looking forward to the conclusion of the scene which usually followed in the course of half an hour b having fondled nero to his heart's content and nero having become somewhat bored there was sure to arise some mild disturbance aggravated by both parties and b believing he had endured as much as any frenchman and first officer is expected to endure without resentment suddenly rises and seizing nero by the short wiry moss of his scalp kicks him deliberately from the cabin and returns to us bursting with indignation this domestic equinox we soon grew fond of and having become familiar with all its signals of approach we watched with agreeable interest the inevitable climax it was well for nero that nature had provided against any change of colour in his skin for he must have borne the sensation of his chastisement for some hours though he was unable to give visible expression of it by and by came b s own private birthday nothing had been said of it at table and in fact nothing elsewhere that i remember but nero who had survived several of those anniversaries bore it in mind and our dinner was something gorgeous to look at unhappily certain necessary ingredients had been unavoidably omitted in the concocting of the dessert ornamental pastry not being set down in our regular bill of fare but b ate of pies that were built of chips and of puddings that were stuffed with sawdust until i feared we should be called upon to mourn the loss of a first officer before morning moreover b insisted that everything was unsurpassed and heaven be thanked i believe the pastry could easily lay claim to that distinction at any rate never before or since have i laid teeth to such a dead sea dessert at this point b naturally called nero to him and thanked him with moist and truthful eyes and the ingenuous little jamaican dropped a couple of colourless tears that would easily have passed for anybody's anywhere for this mutual exhibition of sentiment every one of us was duly grateful and we never afterwards scored b for his eccentricities since we knew him to be capable of genuine feeling moreover he nearly died of his birthday feast yet did not once complain of the unsuspecting cause of all his woe who was at his side night and day anticipating all his wishes and deploring the unaccountable misfortunes of his master so the winds blew us into the warm south latitudes i was getting restless perhaps we had talked ourselves out of legitimate topics of conversation and were forcing the social element it was tedious beyond expression passing day after day within sound of the same voices and being utterly unable to flee into never so small a solitude for there was not an inch of it on board swinging at night in my hammock between decks wakefully dreaming of the future and of the past again and again i have stolen up on deck where the watch lay in the moonlight droning their interminable yarns and smoking their perpetual cigarettes for french sailors have privileges and improve them with considerable grace 
it was at such times that the wind sung in the rigging with the sound as of a thousand swaying branches full of quivering leaves just as the soft gale in the garden grows suggests pleasant nights at sea the vibration of the taut stays and the rush of waters along the smooth sides of the vessel a ship's rigging is a kind of sea harp played upon by the four winds of heaven the sails were half in moonlight and half in shadow every object was well defined and on the high quarter-deck paced thaneron his boyish figure looking strangely picturesque for he showed in every motion how deeply he felt the responsibility of his office there was usually a faint light in the apartments of monsieur le capitaine and i thought of him in his gold lace and dignity poring over a french novel or cursing the light winds i used to sit upon the neck of a gun one of our four dummies that were never known to speak louder than a whisper lay my head against the moist bulwarks and listen to the half-savage chants of the tahitian sailors who helped to swell our crew as we drew down toward the enchanted islands they seemed fairly bewitched and it was with the utmost difficulty that they could keep their mouths shut until evening when they were sure to begin intoning an epic that usually lasted through the watch sometimes a fish leaped into the moonlight and came down with a splash or a whale heaved a great sigh close to us and as i looked over the bulwarks i would catch a glimpse of the old fellow just going down like a submerged island occasionally a flying fish a kind of tangible moonbeam fell upon deck and was secured by one of the sailors or a bird sailing about with an eye to roosting on one of our yards gave a plaintive ominous cry that was echoed in falsetto by two or three voices and rung in with the tahitian cantata of island delights even this sort of thing lost its charm after a little thaneron could not speak to me because thaneron was officer of the deck at that moment and thaneron himself had said to me order monsieur order is the first law of france i had always supposed that heaven had a finger in the making of that law but it is all the same to a frenchman most sea days have a tedious family resemblance their chief characteristic being the almost total absence of any distinguishing feature fair weather and foul sunlight moonlight and starlight moments of confidence oaths of eternal fidelity plans for the future long enough to crowd a century uncomfortably relapses rows recoveries then after many days the water subsided and we saw land at last land god bless it long low coral reefs with a strip of garden glorifying them rocks towering out of the sea palm crowned foam fringed wreaths of verdure cast upon the bosom of the ocean forever fragrant in their imperishable beauty and beyond and above them all gorgeous and glorious tahiti on the morning of the thirty-third day out there came a revelation to the whole ship's company a faint blue peak was seen struggling with the billows presently it seemed to get the better of them growing broader and taller but taking hours to do so the wind was stiff and the sea covered with foam we rolled frightfully all day 
our french dinner lost its identity soup was out of the question we had hard work to keep meat and vegetables from total wreck while we hung on to the legs of the table with all our strength how the old chevere bucked that day as though conscious that for months to come she would swing in still waters by the edge of green pastures where any such conduct would be highly inappropriate every hour the island grew more and more beautiful as though it were some lovely fruit or flower swiftly and magically coming to maturity a central peak with a tiara of rocky points crowns it with majesty and a neighbouring island of great beauty seems its faithful attendant i do not wonder that the crew of the bounty mutinied when they were ordered to make sail and turned their backs on tahiti nor am i surprised that they put the captain and one or two other objectionable features into a small boat and advised them to continue their voyage if they were anxious to do so but as for them give them tahiti or give them worse than death and if convenient give them tahiti straight and keep all the rest for the next party that came along as soon as we were within hailing distance the pilot came out and took us under his wing we kissed the hand of a citizen of the new world and for the first time since losing sight of the dear california coast dismissed it from our minds there was very little wind right under the great green mountains so the frigate astria sent a dozen boats to tow us through the opening in the reef to our most welcome anchorage no doge of venice ever cruised more majestically than we and our sea pageant was the sensation of the day click click went the anchor chain through the hawse holes down into a deep sheltered bowl of the sea whose waters have never yet been ruffled by the storms that beat upon the coral wall around it along the crescent shores trees dropped their yellow leaves into the water and tried their best to bury the slim canoes drawn up among their roots beyond this barricade of verdure the eye caught glimpse of every sort of tropical habitation imaginable together with the high roofs and ponderous white walls of the french government buildings the foliage broke over the little town like a green sea and every possibility of a good view of it was lost in the inundation above it towered the sublime crest of the mountain with a strip of cloud about its middle in true savage fashion perpetual harvest lay in its lap and it basked in the smile of god twilight fragrant and cool a fruity flavour in the air a flower-like tent in sea and sky the ship's boat waiting to convey us shoreward o oh, thaneron my thaneron with your arms about my neck and bee's arms about you and nero clinging to his master's knees in fact with everybody felicitating every other body because it was such an evening as descends only upon the chosen places of the earth and because having completed our voyage in safety we were all literally in a transport End of chapter seventeen